So in a sense, we've been on a journey with the disciples to the place which is the empty tomb of Jesus. The events of Holy Week, they've unfolded quickly. They begin with Palm Sunday through the first days of the week down to Thursday night and the Last Supper to Jesus' arrest, His trial, His crucifixion on Friday. And the interval of Saturday then passes and then Easter Sunday bursts upon us with all of its glory and all of its joy. But today, if we are not careful, we can be very much like Peter and John. And I don't want to be like them today. Because after Mary Magdalene had discovered that the tomb of Jesus was empty, she rushes back to tell the disciples. And Peter and John, they run quickly. They're literally in a foot race. And John, who's built a little bit more lightly, beats Peter and arrives at the tomb. And John arrives first, looks in, but Peter arrives a moment later. He, later, typical Peter, rushes straight in into the now empty tomb. Look around. Any explanation, John says, then the disciples went back to their homes. Oh, don't you find that strange for a second? You're like, oh, what, wouldn't you want to find out where's the body of Jesus? This is a conundrum that needs to be solved. Where is it? Where's the body of this teacher that we just spent three years of our lives with? Now, perhaps human nature explains they're leaving the tomb almost as quickly as they arrived because the next time we see the disciples in verse 19, and on that evening, John records the setting this way. He says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Those words give us some understanding of what's going on in the disciples' mind. The doors were locked for fear of the Jews. And that might explain their reluctance to hang around and do some more exploration as to where the body of Jesus might be. Because Peter and John, of course, they didn't know what had happened. For all they knew, either the Romans or the Jewish leaders had removed the body of Jesus to humiliate him even more and embarrass the disciples as well. So we can't be too hard on Peter and John, can we? But the fact remains, however, that Mary Magdalene, she stayed at the tomb. And she's just as mystified as Peter and John. She's probably just as afraid, just as confused, grief-stricken as they were. But they left and she stayed there. And because Mary Magdalene took some time at the empty tomb, she experienced some things that no one else did. And I'd like to do that this morning too. Because my point today is that we should also linger and spend a little time at the empty tomb, just as Mary Magdalene did. Now, I know that this is Easter morning and all that gory business about scourgings and mockings and, and beating and crucifixion, that's all behind us now. And those pictures of Jesus being ridiculed by the religious leaders, the soldiers, the, the common criminals that were beside him, that rabble of Jerusalem. I don't want to dwell on that a lot today. We want to celebrate the life, the resurrection of Jesus, and all that makes possible. But if we leave the empty tomb too quickly, we miss too much. So my second point this morning is if we leave the empty tomb, we miss mourning. M-O-U-R-N, mourning. Yeah? John, one of the, the disciples who left the tomb, he writes years later about Mag Mary Magdalene at the tomb. Now, perhaps John had talked with her a little later and she shared the, the details of that resurrection morning because he wasn't present to witness all that. So he must have heard it from her. And according to John's account, Mary Magdalene was crying. 
As a matter of fact, when Peter and John leave her, standing at the empty tomb, she's weeping. Mary Magdalene, she was mourning the death of Jesus, and her grief was compounded by the absence of the body of Christ. Where is it? She'd come to, to prepare his body properly for burial and anointing it. That burial ritual was very important to the Jewish people and still is important to the Jewish people. And to be denied, denied the opportunity to take care of the physical body of Jesus, one last time is that incredible act of devotion that would add further to the grief of the person who's in mourning. Of course, our situation is not the same as Mary Magdalene. You know, we are not anointing and preparing Jesus' body for burial as she's come to do. But if we leave that empty tomb too quickly, we miss the chance to mourn for Jesus. If we leave the empty tomb too far, move on to the joy of Easter, we don't have adequate time for understanding. Because if there hadn't been a good Friday, there wouldn't be an Easter Sunday. Those days are locked together in the purposes of God. They can't be separated one from the other. Death and resurrection go together. We can't avoid one because we don't like it in order to embrace the one that we do like. So what do I mean by, by mourning? Why should we mourn at the empty tomb? Well, it's empty, isn't it? The tomb may have been empty on that first day of the week. But for the two preceding days, it held the body of Jesus. A body that Isaiah the prophet prophesied would be marred beyond recognition. So we can't rejoice Easter Sunday if we haven't mourned the tragedy of Good Friday. But Jesus was a God, wasn't he? He knew he was going to rise from the dead, didn't he? So what's the problem with downplaying his death? Well, if we're going to believe that Jesus was some sort of equivalent to a, you know, a first century superhero this morning, we're going to miss out on something. The humanity of Jesus. In the incarnation, the idea of God in human form is not just God in a man's suit. Jesus, the earliest creeds tell us, was fully God and fully man. His heart was broken with betrayal. His body was, was bruised with the blows of the centurions. His forehead was pierced with a crown of thorns. His hands and his feet, they bled when the nails were driven into them. We need to mourn the fact that that had to happen, that Jesus had to die, that sin and selfishness and hatred and greed and all the other dark forces of the human condition had to be directed at him. We need to mourn, as Mary Magdalene did, for the condition of mankind. The sacrificial love of Jesus. The cost of our salvation. We need to mourn the fact that that had to happen. So don't leave the tomb too quickly. Also, if we leave the empty tomb, we miss the meaning. Peter and John, they, had, they looked into the empty tomb. They'd actually gone into the tomb themselves. But John says... They still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, Mary Magdalene, on the other hand, she stays and she discovers the meaning of the empty tomb. It's God's great affirmation of Jesus. The resurrection is God's yes to the empire's no. The empty tomb is the proof of God's approval of Jesus and his verdict of God's judgment on the empire of evil. In the crucifixion, the Roman Empire 
at the behest of the corrupt religious leaders of Jerusalem, they executed a man they judged to be a troublemaker, a rabble-riser, a charlatan, and a threat to the stability of Roman rule. So they did to Jesus the worst they could do. They crucified him. Crucifixion was meant to humiliate and send a message. The prisoner executed was humiliated by being hung naked above a jeering crowd. His body was usually left on the cross for wild animals to devour. That's pretty gross, isn't it? And the message Rome meant to send every time it crucified prisoners was a warning. This is what happens to those who offend the empire. They lose. But, just as God had done at Jesus' baptism when the Father declares, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, the resurrection is God's vindication of Jesus. Rome and all the forces of evil arrayed against Jesus had done all they could do. They killed him. And they killed him in the most humiliating manner possible. But, the Apostle Paul says, God raised him from the dead. Without crucifixion, there can be no resurrection. Jesus couldn't have just sacrificed himself by jumping off a building to his death or by dying in some other way. No, the empire of evil had to kill him. Evil had to have its day. Sin had to do its worst. Now, I'm sure when, that when Pilate ordered Jesus' execution and when the religious leaders were watching what was going on, they must have said, Ha! We're rid of that troublemaker. Thank you very much. Jesus won't be around to bother us anymore. But God had a different idea. God demonstrated that evil may be powerful, but love is more powerful. Evil can, all evil can do is take life. Love can give life. All sin can do is end life. But the power of love is, of God is demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus and opens a whole new chapter of human history. The resurrection of the dead began with Jesus. Paul calls Jesus the first fruits of the dead. That's exciting. The meaning of the resurrection, the meaning of the empty tomb is that Jesus is alive. He's not dead. Indeed, death couldn't keep him. And since Jesus has been raised, there's hope for all of us who love God, that God is also going to raise us one day. The Apostle Paul writes this in, in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection? How can they? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. But we know it's an unequivocal, historical fact. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That gives each one of us hope. And there's, a, there's a fairly popular idea around the place that this life is all there is. And this is all what we do here. Now I agree what we do here is very important. But the Apostle Paul said that there is a life to come. There's hope, the hope of resurrection. <clears throat> if we only have hope in this life, we are to be pitied. We really are. Because eternity looms. And the meaning then of the resurrection is that this is not all there is. There's more to come. The best is in fact yet to come for us as Christians. A new world is coming. We will be transformed. The dream of God will be accomplished. Creation will be redeemed. And it all starts with an empty tomb. Let's not miss the meaning of the empty tomb. 
And if we leave the empty tomb too soon, we miss the Messiah, which is my final point. And the most important one today, I think, let's not miss Jesus. Magdalene, she stays behind at the empty tomb. She weeps, she mourns, her eyes are blinded by tears. She sees a man in her grief and believes he's the person in charge of the garden. And he asks her, why is she crying? And Mary replies in a desperation, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. And Jesus simply says, Mary. He must have said it hundreds of times. He would have, she would have recognized that wonderful voice, the love that's behind that word, of mentioning her name. In an instant, she knows him. All of a sudden, the meaning is clear. The mystery is solved. The story has an ending. Jesus is alive and he's still with her and with all those who love him. If we leave the empty tomb too quickly, we miss the first and probably one of the most important appearances of the Lord. We miss his appearance at the door of death. We miss his triumph in the face of evil. We miss his claim that this garden of death is no longer his tomb but a brand new creation. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how long we've got till Jesus gets back. And we may die before he returns. I don't know. But our grave will not hold us forever. Because just over 2,000 years ago, Mary Magdalene stayed in an empty grave and showing us that through our tears and through our grief, there is meaning and there is hope. So let's linger for a little while at an empty tomb this morning because there not only do we mourn, but we find meaning and we can meet with Jesus. The Lord is risen. He's risen indeed.